everybody, and thank you for joining us for another Alliant Employee Benefits Compliant with Alliant podcast, bringing you insights into employee benefits compliance. I'm your host, Christine Blanco. I'm the Director of Compliance here at Alliant Employee Benefits, and with me is Diana Craig. Hi, everybody. She's an attorney here in our compliance department, and today, it's been a while since we've had a podcast. Um, We hope that the holidays treated you well, and they were relatively free of group health plan compliance drama, which, you know, I have to say, isn't always the case. That's the Christmas present I always ask for each year, Chris. That's right. That's right. No group health plan drama. Or rather, holiday present, you know. Yes, no no holiday drama. Yes. So um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about something we're starting to call alternative delivery methods. Um... In other words, things like telemedicine and concierge care. Um, The biggest issue we see with the provision of health benefits across both group plans and individual plans is really access and cost. And both telemedicine and concierge care are mechanisms by which we're trying to address access and bring down costs and just overall a better experience for um, the end user. So, we are seeing employers interested in that, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and for me, I think this started, you know, it started coming up a little bit in weird ways in 2013. And then in 14, 15, 16, we just saw more and more of this in the market. And it started out, I feel like, really strongly with telemedicine, right? It did. I really think telemedicine kind of led led the charge on it. And just like anything else, right? They go and it's a great idea. It makes sense from a market standpoint. And then slowly you start percolating up on the group health plan compliance issue. I know. Sometimes I feel like uh, compliance attorneys are the last people asked (laughs) some of these difficult questions. No, if they just would talk to us first. (laughs) Um, And then I think that carries on with concierge care. And then there's these amalgam kind of programs that have all kinds of little perks and things happening. Sometimes you see these shoehorn through, quote, wellness programs. We also have these on-site clinics that Diana insists upon talking about, which, you know, kind of... Um, I was actually (laughs) not going to talk about on-site clinics today, Christine. Let's not. Let's not then. (laughs) Never mind. If you want to know about that, we'll talk about it another time. So, okay, let's talk a little bit. I think we can talk in lockstep about telemedicine and concierge because the, the, the group health plan compliance issues are largely the same. Let's hit it on ERISA. What do you think? Um, so when, whenever these things cross my desk, you, you know, initially we had to sort of pull back and go, what's being provided? What's happening? Is it providing medical care um, generally as part of the group health plan? Is the employer bringing this in? And one thing I can say now is in 99% of the cases, telemedicine is what you think it is. You're getting on a Skype call or a phone call with a doctor who is providing you medical care or a nurse practitioner or somebody. Same thing with concierge care. These aren't referral services or anything else where we can sort of um, sidestep the compliance hurdles by saying it's not providing medical care. So that's where I stand. 99% of the time, these vehicles provide medical care. If they're not, they're not really serving the purpose or the function that they're, you know, they're intended, which is, you know, access and cost. And so they're probably a different animal entirely. And so once they're providing medical care, then, you know, we have a, we have a, a group health plan. Well, the dominoes start falling. I right. mean, the second we start providing medical care through, what do we call them now? Alternative delivery methods? Alternative delivery methods. Okay. Through alternative delivery methods. Can we um, make an acronym of that? ADM. I think we're going to get like a copyright infringement sure. problem. Right. Okay, good. We'll come up with something better, maybe jazzier. Um, okay. So medical care, what dominoes fall? So all of a sudden we have ERISA, 
um, HIPAA if you're self-funding, which a lot of times we are, um, possibly not in some limited cases. But really, we're looking at ERISA, like I said, COBRA, and then the last one is the big one, the Affordable Care Act. How do we tick all those compliance boxes on really those big three? And let's not forget about HSA compatibility. I think that's a big one, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that one, I think... Um, so I think that's actually what raised most of the issues was, could you provide this kind of care and also remain HSA eligible. Yeah, I mean I think HSA eligibility is its own animal, mm-hmm. but it is as weighty and equal to sort of what my big 3 would be, which are ERISA, COBRA and the ACA. Okay. Do you want to hit on ERISA, Chris? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So, when we're talking about having a group health plan, really what does it mean when you know, when we have one? What does it mean as it relates to ERISA? Well, you're looking at you need to include that benefit in, you know, in, in your summary plan description. It needs to be wrapped. It needs to be part of the 5,500. It's just you fold it in like any other group health plan component. Um, and a lot of times you don't you don't have that, right? You just kind of don't think about it. It's kind of a tack-on, add-on. But it, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I was just thinking with this, when we talk about including it in the 5,500, that raises all these questions of, again, is it insured is it or is it self-funded? Right? So if you're not getting a Schedule A from somebody mm-hmm. who's providing these things, then we would kind of go, well, we're not going to file Schedule A. Right. But we would still want to make sure on the body of that 5,500 form that we're just indicating we're, we're paying for something through our general assets That's as right. well. That's right. So Which it, is, is self-funded. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's, it, RISA doesn't seem like a big lift. Okay, so I think we want to launch into COBRA now, right, Chris? Yeah, let's let's take a look at COBRA. Um, for me, the big question is, um, we know it's subject to COBRA if it's providing medical care through the group health plan. Is COBRA being offered, or have they figured something else out? Yeah, I mean, and you see this a lot, actually, where group health plans that don't really look and feel and walk like a group health plan get left off the COBRA offering, so you really need to engage with your COBRA administrator, you need to understand that it is there's you know something that we do in EAPs right is when termination of employment happens because EAPs are sometimes you know hooked onto life and disability is we just continue coverage for 36 months which is the entire COBRA period. Um, I don't know. Are you seeing that in the market as it relates to telemedicine? I have not. Um, I have not seen that. the The early indications are that they are. Um, offering COBRA, interested in offering COBRA. In a traditional way. Interested in compliance. Um, but, you know, ha- how that works out mechanically, how that coordinates with, like, let's say your COBRA TPA, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, so you just, it, it's just to raise an issue on it and make sure that um, that you understand it's out there and that you're offering a compliant um, solution there. Next big one is the Affordable Care Act, and that really is the big one. It really is a big one. Diana, I think that you should start us out on the Affordable Care Act. I feel like I just drew the short <laughs> straw here I'll or something. Talk about SBCs. <laughs> no one likes SBCs. You can talk about the other stuff. Okay, so how does it work when you have a employer-sponsored group health plan um, that needs to comply with the Affordable Care Act? If you are offering it on a standalone basis. What's the problem with that, Diana? Well, there are a lot of problems, Christine. Um, So what happens if you're offering it on a standalone basis to people who are not eligible for and enrolled in your major medical coverage, you have to look at how that standalone concierge offering, standalone telemed offering, complies with all of those ACA market reforms. And I'm talking about, you know, um, no lifetime and annual limits, preventive care at no cost sharing, um, coordinating is another big problem, even right. if you are um, limiting your enrollment 
under concierge and telemed to people who are covered by major medical, the ACA wants all of those sort of carved out or slightly separate benefits to have their cost sharing roll up into a single out-of-pocket maximum that is ACA compliant. Meaning that as a participant, your exposure on an out-of-pocket basis isn't just on the major medical. It runs across all of, you know, those those lines of coverage that are that stand alone and that should be integrated yeah i mean just like if you had a carve out uh pharmacy yeah Yeah. carve out pharmacy benefit you you're not maintaining two separate ones generally or can you if they're really well below the limits i mean i think administratively you could but i I think that you know you that's just administratively burdensome you want to make sure because you could you could separate them out, right? It, you can just half them, yeah. right? And but I don't see that done. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just problematic, I think, from an administrative standpoint. Yeah. So I mean, again, I think coordination is the biggest issue there. We want to keep enrollment limited to people who are eligible for and enrolled in major medical coverage. You might think you're doing a really nice thing by blowing that out to people who are maybe not benefits eligible or you know any of those other groups, people who didn't want major medical coverage, but you're really causing more problems than you're solving. And this is true. And um, important to know that when you're working with a vendor, obviously there's all kinds of vendors in the marketplace. You want a vendor who's really conversant in these issues. So they know that you're enrolling only your benefits eligible folks and they want they need to have a pretty quick answer for you on coordination. And if they're they look at you like, what are you talking about? You may want to reconsider your benefit. Yeah, I mean same thing with Cobra. If you ask the question and it takes them two weeks to right. get back to you. And that, that wasn't uncommon in the beginning of this and and or I mean I certainly hope that the market has come up. So on SBCs So under the ACA, there's a summary of benefits and coverage requirement, which essentially um, requires group health plans and carriers to, you know, put out kind of a a summary of what the benefits look like and the pertinent provisions of the plan. And so this is fairly easy on your major medical plan. There's, you know, a template for that. On these sort of different looking benefits, telemedicine, concierge, you know, HRAs, whatever the case may be, it's hard to do an SBC. And so there's some rules there. around that. The requirement is absolutely there on these kind of plans, but there's a caveat that to the extent the plan's terms cannot be described in a manner that's consistent with that template and the instructions on SBCs, they have to describe it somewhere, relevant plan terms, while using its best effort in a manner that's consistent, which is a a mouthful. if telemedicine cannot reasonably be incorporated or concierge, there's an argument that, you know, they can they can use the caveat. Um, but at any rate, just know that it requires an SBC and, um, you know, what are you seeing in the marketplace? I'm not, I haven't seen a vendor put out an SBC on telemed, but they may be out there. Um, I'm not seeing standalone. I have seen people try to fold them in or line them out. The major medical SBC? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we pull back on this, we just want to see that you're doing something. That's right. Just do something. It's always better than doing nothing. Because penalties on SBCs are actually one of the more significant penalties under the ACA. I just happened to look at this the other day. It's $1,000, 1128 per participant. So you want to make sure you're doing something on that. Um, HSA compatibility on both of these things? Yeah. I mean, that has been a problem, um, gosh, since these things were mm-hmm. created, invented, uh, however they grew up in the market, is you want to offer this to people alongside a high-deductible health plan that is HSA compatible. Right. And, and why do we care about that? Because in order to be eligible for an HSA, you can't have really any first-dollar coverage, or right? You have to 
have, you know, your financial exposure up to the limits required under federal law. And when you swoop in and plug in these, you know, other, you know, concierge telemedicine, you can potentially run afoul of that unless. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the deal is um, you can't have any kind of coverage that pays claims below the deductible of the high deductible health plan. So if someone goes in and can have telemed for free or a ridiculously low cost, that's subsidized coverage, that's medical care below the deductible. So how do we solve for that? And the answer is actually not hard, but it can be a little administratively hard. Um, We need to attach a fair market value to the service that's being provided and have people pay that fair market value up until the deductible is met. Exactly. And again, a lot of the telemedicine providers I've seen are, are, are savvy on this. Um, you want to make sure it passes the smell test. Um, you know, it's probably not $2 you know, <laughs> per visit. Um, it's probably not, you know, I mean, it's, it's reasonable. It needs to pass the smell test. Well, but. yeah. And I think to the extent you can, you can have a vehicle that um, either tracks uh, or, or monitor somehow when that sort of deductible finish line gets crossed. Yeah. And then for people who, who cross that deductible finish line, you can provide it free. Exactly. Exactly. So I actually think that brings us about to the end. I think like with any anything here in this space, if it's innovative and it provides some cost savings, there are probably some compliance strings attached, but there's nothing, there's no hurdles here that you can't clear. And these are plans and programs that make a lot of sense for some people, but you just have to be aware of what those compliance obligations are. Yeah, it's always better to ask the questions. That's right. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Compliant with Alliant, and we will see you next time.